welcome. 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 No, I welcome you. <laughs> you oh. say thank you. I've oh. been greeted. Thank you. I've been greeted. That's a normal thing that people say. No, I mean, you can respond <laughs> in a... In a <laughs> monster. Uh-huh. Welcome to Chronically Narnia. We are discussing the Chronicles of Narnia. We are currently discussing the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, <laughs> oh. the, we're, on, we're on the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, book two in the series. We are reading chapter eight. Uh, what, what happened, happened after, after dinner? dinner? No question mark. I didn't add a question mark. No, I'm just saying. Oh, okay. To clarify. It's what happened after dinner. It's declarative. Yeah. Chapter okay. 8, what happened after dinner? Yeah, with the beavers. Maybe. Dinner with the beavers? What happened with the beavers? After dinner with the beavers. Keeping up with the beavers? Is that a thing? No. Okay. Anyway, um, so welcome it's to another week. keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, but the beavers could be a new thing. Welcome to Chronically Narnia. This is a podcast in which we discuss books currently Narnia. Mm-hmm. And you were going to say something that I just interrupted. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay. Um, cool. <laughs> in the course of our discussions, we always begin by uh, introducing ourselves. So, uh, hi, I'm hi. a gin. You took mine. Also known as Kristen, and you are my co-host. And I'm your co-host, uh, an old rhyme people say around these parts. An old rhyme. Mm-hmm. Also known as Chris. Uh, welcome. And nothing you have said has rhymed so far. I'll work on that. Anyway, um, so let's go ahead and do our summaries to start off with. All right, so after we introduce ourselves, the next thing that we do in this podcast is to summarize the chapter mm-hmm. that we just read. In this case, chapter eight, what happened after dinner. Correct. And we do that summarizing by selecting five sentences out of the chapter, plucking them out of the chapter and orienting them into a summary, whether it's a miniature narrative or whatever it may be. Uh Um, Chris does a lot of perspective grabbing. I do a lot of... That's illegal some places. Still not rhyming. (laughs) Um, I do a lot of just uh, writing really long sentences. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and start? Yeah, mine is shorter than yours, uh, by the looks of it. <laughs> so here is my summary. I don't doubt you'd save him if you could, dearie, said Mrs. Beaver. But you've no chance of getting into that house against her will and ever coming out alive. Who is Aslan? asked Susan. I tell you he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. So things must be drawing near to the end now that he's come and you've come. I didn't like to mention it before, he being your brother and all, but the moment I set eyes upon that brother of yours, I said to myself, treacherous. Okay, okay. I, I, the, you did exactly what I expected <laughs> you to do, and I expected you to focus on the revelation of Aslan's identity. Uh-huh. I did not. We learned that. Yes, we finally learn who Aslan is, sort that of. he's a lion, that he's, he's lion. the son of the great emperor across the sea. A lot of revelation in this chapter. And that he is, in fact, the one who's come to 
take away the queen's authority, essentially. That's what they say. And this is the first time that we've actually learned who he is. Yep. I barely touch. I think I mentioned his name once. Okay. All right. It's going to take like five minutes. Go ahead. And now, said Lucy, do please tell us what happened to Mr. Tumnus. The quickest way you can help him is by going to meet Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Word has been sent that you are to meet him tomorrow, if you can, at the stone table. Down at Caraparavel, that's the castle on the seacoast down at the mouth of this river, which ought to be the capital of this whole country, if all was as it should be. Down at Caraparavel, there are four thrones, and it's a saying in Narnia, time out of mind, that when two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve sit on those four thrones, then it will be the end not only of the white witch's reign, but of her life. And that is why we had to be so cautious as we came along. For if she knew about you four, your lives wouldn't be worth a shake of my whiskers. The moment that Edmund tells her that we're all here, she'll set out to catch us this very night. And if he's been gone about half an hour, she'll be here in about another 20 minutes. Okay. So you you did tell the story of the chapter pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I, I figured we would both have, like, a single-sentence reference to Edmund being yeah. a treacherous little brat. Yeah, we did not have a single sentence in common this time, though. Yep. So we had very different ideas about this chapter. This one was a little hard because I've, there's a lot of stuff revealed in this chapter and a lot of stuff that we learn, and a lot of plot happens here. Yeah. Um, and so A lot of ground laying, too. Yeah. A lot of it, prophecies, a lot of poems and rhymes. Yeah, distilling it down into five sentences was difficult. Um, so... That being said, there's a lot I want to talk about, so let's jump right into it. You go. Uh, so we uh, find ourselves again after dinner in the Beaver's house, and we learn that Mr. Tumnus has been taken. Uh, he's been captured by the police. It was all nasty business. Uh, you know, a little bird told Mr. Beaver yep. uh, about that what happened. That he saw it happen. Uh, and Tumnus has been taken to a place where nobody comes out alive. Mm. And apparently lots and lots of people get turned into statues. If nobody comes out alive, it's, I don't know how we know this. I mean, it's, it's valid. It's a valid statement. Uh-huh. People disappear into the hands of the secret police yeah. and then are gone. Yeah. They're just gone. But we have rumors about what it's like inside the house. Oh, birds fly over, whatever. <laughs> they don't go in the house. Yeah. So we they know. They can clearly report back. What's in there. And apparently she, you know, Medusa style, she turns people into statues and this is where Tumnus is gone. And we're talking again about setting off on a rescue mission. Yes, Peter and Lucy uh, are very of mind to go rescue Mr. Tumnus, and the beavers are not having any of it. They're just, no, we're going to go to Aslan. He's the one who's going to rescue him. You, you know, if anyone is. And then the sentence that you used that was a reference with Mrs. Beaver, I found to be a very interesting um, bit of ironic foreshadowing i suppose would be the best way to phrase it because it's it's not direct foreshadowing because what she's saying is going to happen isn't going to happen but Uh the scenario in which it would happen happens yes so the sentence that says um you've no chance of getting into that house against her will and ever coming out again Uh uh-huh she's directing to lucy and or susan whichever one of them said something at the moment yeah and um Eventually, it is going to be Lucy and Susan that go with Aslan to that house of the White Witch uh-huh. and 
reanimate all the stone people. And I think that it was very much, you know, obviously against the witch's will, but it was also, you know, while the witch was very much still alive and amassing her armies to come kill Peter and Edmund. Yeah. So it's very much, you know, the, the Mrs. Beaver is saying, you've got no chance of getting in there against her will and coming out alive. And it's like, nah, brah, we going to do that. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about starting a rescue mission and we start talking about, um, prophecy. Mm, yeah. And we start talking about rhymes and, and things that, you know, apparently lots of prophecies and Mr. Bieber just knows all of them. Uh, he's got a prophecy for every situation. Well, I mean, he's very much more as opposed to like Mr. Tumnus, who is obviously more of a book reader and pleasure Bookish. seeker. <laughs> um uh-huh. You have Mr. Beaver and Mrs. Beaver, but the the Beavers who are very much presented as these salt of the earth people uh-huh. that are they're folksy. They're folksy, and they have knowledge of the mythos uh-huh. of the prophecy of the rhyme of mm. the legends. Yeah, they're the ones who know. Oh, like this is the the history of the witch, and this is the kind of people you don't trust, and this is. All of the things that there are to say about different people and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and read our first rhyme here. That's our first prophecy. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. Um, <laughs> I mean, we kind of break the rhyme screen there. Winter meets its death. Okay. Uh, and when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. If you want to pronounce it that way, uh, it works better than teeth. Um, so anybody, anyway. Maybe you're saying teeth wrong, Chris, and they're teeth. <laughs> when he bears his teeth. <laughs> Winter will meet its death. Uh-huh. Uh, whoever wrote these prophecies was not great at poetry, but, you know, we have one Look, here. Look, you don't have to trash on C.S. Lewis just because he can't rhyme teeth with something. Yeah, that's accurate. Um, and we learned something about Aslan here. Um, I mean... You'll understand when you see him. There, who's Aslan? Aslan said, Mr. Beaver, why, why don't you know he's the king? He's the lord of the whole wood. Uh, and there's this line. We're kind of going backwards. He's the lord of the whole wood. Is this possibly referring to the wood between the worlds? Like, is that one of his Interesting titles? Interesting thought. Because th- I was thinking the wood of Narnia, yeah. like the, the forest that they're in yeah. and things like that. But that might be a, a very good take on it. Yeah. And this is like, he is the lord of creation. He is the lord over everything. Because mm. it's the wood between the worlds goes everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, he he is the king of the pathways. Um, but he is, he is somebody that the Beavers have never met. That, you yeah. know, their, their ancestors It's a legend that met. he basically yeah. exists at all. Yeah. They say he's he on the move. He hasn't been there, he's some, yeah. Somebody hasn't been there in a long, long time. But they have a great deal of reverence for him regardless. And, you know, there's this legend and everybody believes very strongly that he exists. He, do, he does exist and he's coming to, you know, take the queen down. Yep. And there's this prophecy. And we finally reveal that Aslan is a lion. Yes, we reveal Aslan's a lion. A literal lion. An and actual lion. Not a safe lion. No. But he is a good lion. Uh, yes, not a man. Uh, son of the Emperor Beyond the Sea, which is also the first time we hear of whoever this figure is. Mm-hmm. So. Whoever Aslan's father is. Yeah, Aslan's father, who is, you know, 
why maybe, why uh, didn't you introduce yourself as Aslan's father? That's a little <laughs> presumptuous. Uh anyway, um the lion, the great lion, we find out who and what Aslan is, kind of. Um and you know, now the that first prophecy yeah. says that the queen's winter will be broken yes. when Aslan arrives yes. and shakes his mane and all of that. Yeah. He's on we the then have conflicting prophecies later mm-hmm. that say that the queen's reign will end uh-huh. when the four thrones are filled at Caraparavel, which was yeah. in my yes, in my summary. What's the other prophecy say? Um, well, it, the other prophecy isn't really a, a fun rhyming thing. It or, is a rhyming yeah. thing. Oh no, it it's rhymes. the other. Uh, so the other prophecy we have, we're kind of jumping around. When Adam's flesh and Adam's bone sits at Caraparavel enthroned, the evil time will be over and done. Again. Okay, so referencing to what we have of this saying of Narnia. Yeah, I guess you could say done, but uh, yeah. Or maybe there's a weird rhyme scheme. I don't know. It's not supposed to rhyme. It is supposed to rhyme. (sighs) Over and done. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yep. Which, I mean, that's the way the word is spelled and should be pronounced anyway. Much like dome with an N. And... (laughs) I'm just going to let you have that little rant there. Uh, yep. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll come back to the podcast in a minute when you're done. Yeah, we learn a lot of things here. We learn about a place called the Stone Table. Apparently this is important. Uh, don't know what that is. That's not a thing in The Magician's Nephew. Uh, so we we have no context for this, even though we have read the prequel book to, to this one. Uh, Can we talk about the prequel book for a minute? Yeah. Because we have a direct contradiction. Yep, plot holes. Let's go. All right. What do you got? In this book, it very directly says, but there's never been any of your race here before. This is a direct quote from Mr. Beaver about the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Yes. Which means that we have completely erased Frank and Helen as Uh king and queen, the cabbie and his wife. Yeah. We've completely erased Diggory and Polly. Yeah. And Uncle Andrew even, old Brandy. Uh-huh. Like, we've completely, like, when we go back and read The Magician's Nephew as a prequel book, it is in direct contradiction to what has been said about Narnia now, that there's never been humans here before. We're assuming that, you know, Mr. Beaver's correct, though. Like, maybe this is what he believes. Like, he's yes, speaking but- instead of what he... It, it may be what he <sighs> believes, but it also, like, there was a book on Mr. Tumnus's shelf labeled as Man of Myth. Yeah. Like, there are prophecies that relate to humans. And Mr. Beaver is here presented as the source of knowledge of the prophecies. He is yeah. the one who is delivering to the children the next step in the progress. Like, yeah. the he is the plot mover. So, like, to have him be an unreliable narrator undermines everything about these prophecies, everything about Aslan, everything mm-hmm. about the stone table, everything about the witch as an evil person who turns people to stone. Like, if he is incorrect on some of these points, it is it is a very blatant oversight and it's undermining his authority as a narrator of everything that is true that these children are learning about Narnia now. I'm just going to let you have that little rant there. Yep, yep, yep. Come back to the podcast in a minute when you're done. Yeah. I mean, there's there's even contradiction in, you know within the, the chapter itself because we have Mr. Beaver saying, none of your kind have ever been here before. And then 
Then they keep talking about how everything that looks like a human but isn't a human and is going to be a human but isn't yet. Like, all of these things. So, like, they know what humans look like. Yeah, but on the very next page, we have them going on this thing being like, oh, anything that looks human and isn't or is going to be human and isn't yet, uh, don't trust that thing. I've known some good dwarfs, though, (laughs) said Mrs. Beaver. They're not all good, apparently. So have I. Now you come to speak of it. A precious few. And they were the ones least like men so we have this kind of idea that anything that is similar to a human but not human is very much steeped in evil and mistrust and shouldn't be taken at its word yes is the queen and we know dwarves look like humans yes and the ones that are least like (laughs) humans are the best dwarves like that is super like weird because then we also have um him saying that like Oh yeah, there's there's two different perspectives on humans. No offense to you, but yeah, like and and so how does Mister Beaver know all these things about humans if humans have never been here before? Yeah, I, I don't know. So like that was frustrating to me. We also have this huge dive into the mythos of Adam and Eve. Yeah, which where we are we just know? like. Yeah, How does so anybody know that stuff? The queen claims that she is human, bases her claim that she is human, which would then nod back to King Helen and Queen, or, yeah, King Helen and Queen Frank. Yeah. Um, the two of them, um, as some kind of royal line, because cause the queen's claim to royal authority is her magic in the other book. And this is really pissing me off, and I'm just going to be a little frustrated for a minute. And then we also have Mr. Beaver talking about all of this myth around Lilith, around Lilith, Adam's first wife, and how she was a djinn, and that this djinn that had previously had a relationship with Adam Mm -hmm. is gone and gotten it on with a giant and has produced Jadis. Uh-huh. But in The Magician's Nephew, we have Jadis as the end of a royal line presented in the wax figures yeah. that like her father would have been there. And if her father was a giant and she's some kind of half-blood djinn giant, then <laughs> like, why did she have a history on the other planet? And <laughs> uh, Yeah, so... We'll we'll get there. I, no, I wanna, we're okay. there. I want I, 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 asterisk whatever it is that you wanted to talk about well, and address this right now. We're not getting I, I there. To, I'm not coming back I, to this. I wanted to jump back because you mentioned. You, also, your audio just spiked all over the place on that rant. <laughs> hey, loud co-host. I'm just gonna let you have that little rant there. Yep. Yep. Come, yep. Back, come to back to the podcast in a minute when you're done. Anyway, we mentioned Jadis being on the planet Charn and where we found her at. And even though at this point we shouldn't have read The Magician's Nephew already, I feel like we can draw a parallel here between because we talk about the witch's house and the witch's house being full of statues of people she's turned to stone. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Okay, but you're still undermining <laughs> the integrity of my angry rant. That's good, though. Uh-huh. So she's filling her house with statues in the same way that she was found mm-hmm. in a statuary. Yes. So we first get introduced to to her Boom. and a room full of statues yes <sighs> okay yeah <laughs> you're on board for this one yeah i so, like that one so despite the fact that we have like plot holes and inconsistencies that's a really good parallel which 
I mean, I don't know if Lewis planned this going in or if he was just, like, rereading this on the way to rewrite The Magician's Nephew and be like, hmm, there should be something with statues because that's going to be an echo of, you know, what happens here. Uh, I don't know, but it is, it's interesting. And mm-hmm. I think that says something about her character where she is, you know, she becomes the only living thing in a place full of statues uh-huh. and a place full of things that once were alive or have never had life and are imitations of life, but are not. In the same way that on Charn, she killed everybody. And yeah. the only thing that was left to sing, it to the, and the only thing that was left to signify that life had ever been there yeah. was wax figure statues yeah and i think that that might say something about her insecurity as a person or maybe her vanity either way where she has to be the one living thing like Mm. if there there can't be somebody that could be her equal there can't be somebody who could challenge her yeah and that is you know the one thing she can't stand Mm -hmm. so there you go i thought that was a fun little nod But going back to your rant here, we have this whole theological diatribe on where the queen comes from. And I did some research here. uh, And I don't want to turn this into another theology episode, but I have things to say. Okay. Have you... Are are you familiar with the myth of Lilith? Yes. And I I brushed up on it and I did some reading on the Wikipedias. And that... About it. The giants and everything to do with giants. Like, Uh, everything with that mythos is very much contained within traditions here on earth yes so there's a lot of interesting stuff about lilith it's a myth that it kind of spreads around and shows up in a lot of far-flung places Mm -hmm. it's very very old um we have you know the first reference to the story of her being adam's first wife uh shows up in the babylonian talmud uh from the jewish tradition somewhere around a thousand bc okay like it, it pops up there, so it's not quite as old as the oldest books of the Bible, but it's back there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have references there. We have references uh, based on the way you do your translation of her being a demon that shows up in Mesopotamia, mm-hmm. 3000 BC. Uh, there's a reference to a Lilith that kind of appears in the same way in the Epic of Gil- Gilgamesh. Mm, yeah. Uh, and so she shows up a lot of places. And... I always find that interesting when you have uh, things that have similar notes that show up in, you know, far-flung cultures and different... You mean like the flood? And... Like like the flood. And, you know, I'm not going to stand on my theological soapbox, but I, I think that that means something. And whatever it is, there is a common thread with this kind of character or this archetype that shows up a lot. Yeah. It's often portraying a source of conflict Mm -hmm. Um, where, you know, like she is where the giants come from. And the only other giant that we mention in the Bible is the Philistine Mm -hmm. Goliath. And, you know, like we also have discussions of any like enemies of God being, you know, like the in the giant grapes that they carried back and stuff like that. Like yeah. People being large and enemies of God mm-hmm. being these kind of characteristic descendants of Adam's first wife, Lilith. Yeah. And just going directly into the Jewish tradition, a couple more things about Lilith that we could possibly dive into and you could have a, you know, a, a feminist rant about. 
is that Lilith in Jewish, Jewish tradition was a woman that was crafted out of the same clay that Adam comes from. And so this was the first woman to go Adam's to the first equal. man who was Adam's equal. As opposed to Eve, who was created from yes. Adam. Yes. And there's a lot of literature about that in the Jewish tradition that talks about uh, the fact that Lilith was evil, uh, in essence, because she refused to be subservient to a man mm-hmm. and was yeah. equal to Adam. And Yeah, no, I was trying really hard <laughs> not to go into this because then it's just going to be an entire podcast that's a feminist rant about Lilith because, mm-hmm. yeah, no, this is... And in in actuality, my first introduction to Lilith mm-hmm. as an entity or a character in any kind of mythology was a feminist rant of saying exactly what you just said. So to me, Lilith has always represented that because she's always been associated with that in my head. Yeah. Where she's always been Adam's equal and therefore evil because she would not be subservient to him. Uh-huh. And um, yes, that's absolutely where... My brain goes immediately when we talk about Lilith and whenever anyone talks about Lilith. And so, yeah, no, I just, I was trying to steer clear of that one. I was hoping you wouldn't bring it up. Uh, and yeah, and we, in, in the Christian Bible, we have exactly one mention of the name uh, in the Hebrew and Isaiah. The name Lilith appears uh, based on translation. It could be a lot of different things. Like it can mean uh, it's a class of demon. Uh, also... Some sort of like Night Stalker, also Screech Owl, could be a Screech Owl. <laughs> um, but that is something in the Bible. Uh, it shows up in the same verse in the parts of Isaiah we have from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay. Uh, where Lilith is included in a list of monsters. Mm. And so, kind of all over the place, but we have this idea, you know, going back to the book that we're actually reading, uh, that, that Queen Jesus... isn't human. Is not human, but is somehow associated with the human yes. tradition of Adam. Uh, and it says Lilith here is one of the jinn. I look, uh, jinn is a thing that kind of comes from the the Arabic tradition, which is is uh, it Turkish like Aslan? Uh, yes, there is there is Turkish there, um, but it comes from the Arabic tradition, and a jinn is a class of demon that can take human form. Mm, okay. Uh-huh, but, I see. I immediately went to like a jinn, like uh, a genie. Yeah. Uh, and they were they were demons that were uh, are said to be of a lower caste than angels, uh, but they're deceivers and they can take the forms of humans and they can possess people. Mm, and, okay, so it's very much this idea of things that look like human but yes. aren't, like Lilith and Jin yeah. that take the form. They're changelings. They take the form of humans and yeah. Uh, and then we get into Mister Mister Beaver continuing to be like, keep your hatchet nearby and talking about these things that. Uh, might be humans but aren't and I wanted to jump in here because just wandering uh, we have a few different classes here where we have the thing that ought to be human and isn't which is kind of where Jadis is or where the witch is she ought to be human and is not Uh, and then we have something else he mentions which is used to be human once and isn't now and I feel like I don't know what we are in this world but like in a literary reference that could be something like a vampire or Something like that, which yeah, is... Yeah, trying some, to figure out what that is. Uh, was, you know, something that used to be human and became something else. But then there's this other category. It is says, that, could that also be the descendants of humans with other things? Possibly. Like minotaurs or whatever? Yeah, like the fawns. Are the fawns untrustworthy? They're hey. partially human. Um, and then there's this other category that says, uh, 
something that's going to be human and isn't yet. That one really like stood out to me. That one just sat there on the page like yeah. What is that? Figure that out. Yeah, figure that out. Yeah. I was trying to figure out something that in, you know, from mythology that that fits that bill and I couldn't come up with anything. I think I mean, like the only things I can think of like that are things that like things that were human and are trying to become human once again. Yeah. But like in my head, I can, I'm not thinking of specific examples. I'm thinking of like the maidens that ran away from the affection of gods in mythology and mm-hmm. begged to become tree spirits and things like that. I'm yeah. And like, I'm I'm not like they're they're not not human yet. They were human at one time and aren't anymore. So yeah. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Like that's a that's a little mystery in here that yeah. we can, if you know, if you can think of an example of something that's not yet human. Yeah, tweet at us. Get help a, us out. Help us out here, and then we go hashtag in, not yet human. Uh, and then we go into yet another prophecy. Yes. Uh, where this one doesn't have a fun rhyme, it just talks about there being castle Carl Caraparabell. It was my longest summary sentence. Mm-hmm. There are four thrones. And two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve are supposed to sit there and something happens. Yes. Now, here we have, <laughs> once again, the undermining of why does the witch want these kids? Why? Why does she want them? Why? Why didn't she just kill Edmund and be done with it? Yeah. And we even have Mr. Beaver saying, if she knew about the four of you, your lives wouldn't be worth a shake of my whiskers. And then we have this really, like, attempt to explain why the witch wants all of them because yeah. she wants to turn them to stone in her castle? She question wants to, mark. She wants to keep like, them off the thrones. Yes, but she could just kill one of them <sighs> and they would not be able to sit on the thrones as two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve. Yeah. Does it have to be these children? Don't know. But like, like, are these kids special? Yes, because they arrived at the same time as Aslan, Obi. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um... And so we want to keep him on the thrones. Yeah, she could just kill one, I guess. Uh, uh, anyway, it seems all convoluted as far as plans go. Yeah, I, I do have one other thing to put in here. Yeah. The kid's last name is Pevensey. Uh-huh. And Pevensey is a name. What? Uh, yeah. Ob- <laughs> uh, yeah. Obby. <laughs> um, it probably derives from Pevensey, the name of the bay in East Sussex, England, where William the Conqueror landed in 1066. Hmm. So when William the Conqueror landed, he landed near Pevensey. Uh-huh. And it's possible that these kids are named Pevensey in a, an allusion to that bay because hmm. we also have Aslan arriving into Narnia. Hmm. He's on the move. At the time of the children arriving into um, Narnia as well. So it's kind of like... This reference of Aslan coming in as a conqueror, uh-huh. as William the Conqueror did in 1066. Yeah. So, and yeah, there you go. Another another reference. Yeah. Uh, so, quick question about Aslan being on the move, which is something I thought about while reading this chapter. Why does it take Aslan so long to get anywhere? <laughs> like, he's a character that he, he has demonstrated the most powerful magic of anything that we've seen uh, in the books, in The Magician's Nephew, obviously. Um, he is effectively God or a God or something God-like and can... You know Aslan's Jesus, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> um, and he can create worlds, uh, and he can make life and he can do all these things. And like the Mr. Beaver's like, oh, I'd be surprised if the witch could even stand and look him in the eye. Mm-hmm. 
um, and and all this stuff, and with Aslan's a being of great power, but takes He's him at least like three days to. <laughs> we also <laughs> have like He's instructions just like... given to the beavers to take the kids to Aslan at the stone table by tomorrow. Uh-huh. Like Aslan knew they were gonna be here. Yeah, and it's just knew that they would be back, and yeah, and like I just had this image of like you know. Aslan's just sitting around waiting in an airport and learning that his flight is canceled. And just being like, <laughs> uh, It is, it's just... I, I'm supposed to be on the move. <laughs> I, I don't know. And, <laughs> uh, haven't landed yet. Yeah. He's just, you know, texting a bird messenger being like, I'll let you know as soon as I know something. Tell He's the, tweeting tell, it out. Tell the beavers I'm on my way. He's tweeting it out. <laughs> Them bird messengers. <laughs> I had to say it twice before you got yeah, it. Yeah, I, I know. I was. I just didn't want to think you'd stoop that low. Mm-hmm. To make puns in our podcast, anyway. Um, so we learn all this stuff. Narnia Twitter. It's all a flutter. With the news that Aslan has come. Yep. Um. So Edmund disappears somewhere. At this point, we realize that Edmund's gone. Yep. And Esmond's done run off. Then they immediately have to figure out, well, Edmund's disappeared and Mr. Beaver is immediately just like, yep. Makes he's, sense. He's gone to the witch. Nice. And they're like, what? What do you mean? And they're like, no, she's gone. He's gone to the witch. Has he been here before? Yeah. Did he talk about meeting anyone? He's clearly met her before, eaten her food, yeah. which is like an enchanty thing. Yeah. And... He's gone to the witch. And they immediately know within themselves that he's right. Yeah, Mr. Beaver speaks that truth. And just like, oof, yeah, that's yeah. good. But then we have an instance of Mr. Beaver, who I like this character, and I liked him a lot up until these pages in the end of this chapter, mm-hmm. because he is dumb. Because this entire time, he's like, oh yeah, as soon as I laid eyes on him, I, my, my mind said treacherous, and he had the look, and I knew he was influenced by the witch. And at the same time... We have this conversation where he's just like, oh, well, how long was he here? Did he hear us talking about Aslan and the stone table and all yeah. these things that I shouldn't have mentioned in front of the person I knew was a traitor? Yeah. Like He's a little dumb, isn't he? Yeah, because he's super concerned, and Mrs. Beaver's super concerned, being like, oh, how much did he hear? Did, he's gone, and he's told the witch all of this. At no point was Mr. Beaver concerned about talking about anything in front mm-hmm. of the spy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now suddenly he realizes his massive mistake. Mm-hmm. So as much as I like Mr. Beaver, does a really stupid thing. But yeah, but had how he else not, would he get around that though? Yeah, by being like, "Oh hey, Edmund, you know, I need something from down the river that I left a tool down there. Could you bring it up?" And you know, no, Edmund leaves the room and he's like, that, "Okay, though. real quick." He could have talked to Peter while he was fishing with Peter. Yeah. Like, that's could have been a like, thing. Hey, but here's no, things to like, know that I can't tell your brother. Like, yeah, no, it's a thing. But mm-hmm. we also wouldn't have this moment of treachery. This moment of treachery where Edmund runs off and he's going to go tell the witch. And when we, we talked about in the last chapter, we come to the beaver's hut on the dam and they can see way off, you know, somewhere off in the distance, like, what he thinks is a mile away, the the witch's castle, and we see. So the maybe it really in. is only a mile away yeah. because he's supposed to be able to get there right within half an yeah. hour. Yeah, like and he can get there get half, back half an hour. Like, I mean, at a, I mean, 
at a nice jog, I guess I could go a mile in like yeah, maybe 15 minutes or so. Yeah, but so, we're also talking about in a snowstorm. Yeah, in a snowstorm. Uphill both ways. Yeah, uphill both <laughs> ways. So if he's making it there in 30 minutes, small child making it there in half an hour in a snowstorm. They really are that like, close. It's yeah. like a mile away Which from this you place. complained about in the last yeah. chapter, so we'll, get, we'll go past that. Yeah, but like we've established this as truth now. Why are the beavers so close to the witch's house? Because it's where there? the river is. There's other rivers, I'm sure. No, there's not. They you, made it clear that this is the river that goes all the way to Caraparavel. Okay. Well, you can go five miles up the river before they're away. Like, it's, it's, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yes, it does. This is how rivers work. <sighs> there are good places for dams and bad places for dams. They can't get fish if they go somewhere else. Whatever. Um, so. I'm, I told you I didn't want you to go on this rant because you did it before. Yeah, so he make, he's going to make it there in half an hour, and then it's going to take the witch... We also, <clears throat> this moment has to happen, and I know that it frustrates you, but this moment has to happen. Because when we do get to the witch confronting Aslan, she makes a claim on Edmund's life. Uh-huh. Based on the fact that for some reason she has a right to all traitors' blood. Uh-huh. Whatever that right comes from, uh-huh. somehow she has that right to uh-huh. claim his life because he betrayed them. Uh-huh. And so if we didn't have this moment of treachery, of of literal betrayal, yeah. there wouldn't be this claim on his life that the witch has later, yeah. which requires Aslan to make a substitutionary atonement. Ooh, the theological terms. <laughs> um, so, and then, you know, if he's there in 30 minutes, the witch will be here in 20. Like, yep. we have 20 minutes to pack our crap and get out of here and we need to run now. Mm-hmm. Is where the chapter ends. Kind of a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Again, which she's the queen of the land, uh, you know, empress of Narnia. She's got lots of magic at her disposal and spies everywhere. Still going to take her at least twenty minutes to get a mile down the hill. Yeah, <laughs> she she can't really go any any faster. Well, maybe than it's going to take him longer <laughs> than thirty minutes to get there. Maybe he's not already there. Like maybe it's going to take him forty minutes to get there, and it'll take her ten minutes to get in the sleigh and get back. Yeah. It's just like she has a sleigh. She's got to be able to move faster than that. But, yeah, I got that. We don't have a lot of time. we got to run, and that's where we end the chapter. Is uh, there, Are there things you want to get to that we didn't talk about? No. I'm on. I'm already flipped over to my rewrite page. <laughs> All right. I just feel like, uh, yeah, there's a lot there. We learn a lot of things about the world. Um, so mm-hmm. do we still, we still have some questions at this point, I guess. Mm-hmm. But we're we're getting there. I will say for as far as the pacing of the book goes, we are eight chapters in. This book has fifteen chapters. We're now more than halfway through the book. Huzzah. We're more than halfway through the book in a chapter content way. Yes. But I also I think we're more than halfway in a page number way as well. I don't think we are. Okay. But we can we can check on that. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. When you were holding the book I was looking at it in the inverse. Yeah. So, I thought we had not quite. Yeah. So we're more than halfway through it. And just now we're getting to like actual plot happening. Because this entire first half of the book was all set up. And like you have, you know, the kids finding the so wardrobe. So is this going to be part of your rating? Because we can come back to this rant well, no, I, when no, you do I just, your rating. Yeah, I just wanted to, to say pacing as far as the whole story goes. We're just now getting to the actual plot of the book more than halfway through. Yep. So, eh. Would have liked for that to come in earlier, but, but we've oh well. dramatically up the stakes at this point. We have the stakes are high. Yep. 
send us a fan art of like a cow with a no, joint. No, no, <laughs> no. Um. I was thinking about just holding T bones over our oh, heads. Why okay. did you have to know? Oh. Why'd you have to ask for fan art? Nathan's gonna draw this now. <laughs> It'll be great. Uh, all right. So let's move into our next segment, uh, where we take five sentences out of the chapter and we rewrite a new story out of them. We make a whole different th- different thing. We call it Narnia Chopped and Screwed. Yes, Hashtag. We do. Um, so Kristen, if you want to go ahead and read your rewrite of the chapter, let's Try. see what you got. I'll do it. No, no, there isn't a drop of real human blood in the witch. I'll show you, said Mr. Beaver. But Mr. Beaver, said Lucy, can't we, I mean, we must do something to save him. It's too dreadful, and it's all on my account. Ah, that's bad, said Mr. Beaver, shaking his head. (laughs) That's our only chance now. Okay. Sorry. A little magical storyline. Okay. I was having fun with it. It was fun. There's a lot of fun stuff to, to pick apart, and I went through a few rewrite ideas. The one I really wanted to do, I couldn't find a way to make happen, because I really wanted to just do a story about, like, Mr. Beaver talking on and on and on about all his prophecies and the kids just being, like, shut up already. <laughs> because there's, like, three times where Mr. Beaver's like, and I've got a prophecy for that. And I and I wanted to make that into, like, a little comedic thing. Couldn't uh, do it. But here is mine, uh, plan B. Is, is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. But there's never been any of your race here before. And she was one of the djinn. But in general, take my advice. When you meet anything that's going to be human and isn't yet, or used to be human once and isn't now, or ought to be human and isn't, you keep your eyes on it and feel for your hatchet. Yeah. I didn't. I don't really like this one. Like there was a direction I was trying to go with it, but couldn't really get to. Yeah. Uh, no. It's. I. I. I think that you. Lifted a little much out of direct context. Yeah. Um, so that it just becomes a summary of this conversation. Yeah, and I was trying to kind of build off of my last rewrite, which was, uh, you know, we don't know who Aslan is, other than that he's this powerful figure, and maybe he's something to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. And building off of that and saying, you know, Aslan isn't a man, but. Maybe he looks human and isn't. Aislain. Aislain. <laughs> and we should be wary of that and kind of building more of this mythos around this powerful figure that we know nothing about. Um, except we do now. So, that being said, uh, let's go ahead and close out with our rating of the chapter. Uh, I will. We're going to rate it for look, all it's worth. Yep. <laughs> look at the chapter as a whole and determine how well it did its job. Narnian piracy. Yep. Pirates. Want to reference the book that you haven't read yet? Anyway. The pirate is a metaphor. The pirate is a metaphor. But also a person. Yes. Ah, all right. Anyway, what is our rating system? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it should be about, like, repressed mythical figures. Like Lilith and Giants and Jim. (sighs) Specifically repressed mythical figures? Uh, I don't know. Or just Anything myth- that's not yet human, or uh huh, things that are going to be human but aren't yet. Um, yes, we could we could rate it out of levels of closeness to humanity. 
If you give it the highest rating, it's a full human. I know you're going to do something similar. Anyway, um, so... Like what are I was, you going to rate it out of, Chris? Uh, let's say repressed uh, mythical figures. Drops like. of human blood. Madness. Um, <laughs> let's go repressed mythical figures. Um, so I said earlier that the pacing of this one, uh, well, the chapter as a whole is fine. The pacing of it within the book, I think, is could leave something to be desired. But then I'm just rating the chapter and not the actual book. <clears throat> we'll get to my book rating at the end of it. Um, Will we? Yeah. I, really? I Yes. <sighs> the chapter's good. Like, we learn a lot. We do a lot of exposition. We, uh, we do a lot of exposition, but not in an annoying way. Yeah. We I learn... mean, it's three prophecies in yeah. a row, but... It is three prophecies in a row. It and, reads easy. Uh, and it is it is reading... It is an easy reader. Um, yeah, we, we establish a lot of character stuff about Aslan, about the witch, and the powers that be, and we learn more about the story as a whole and what the story actually is about. Uh, which, you know, about time. We're halfway through the book. We should know what the story's about by now. Uh, You're just going to be bitter about that for a while. I know, I'm just throwing throwing out negative ideas. Uh, Yeah. The only thing I didn't really like in this chapter was how stupid Mr. Beaver was, because he's a character that I liked. I still like him, but made a bad call, and, you know, created the rest of this plot because of his bad decision, basically. I guess he had to. We can talk about fate another time. Um, He's just written that way. He's not evil. He's just written that way. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's mostly good with just a few, you know, a few negative parts here and there. So I'm going to go ahead and say it's got f- a good four repressed mythical figures out of five. Wow. Uh, let's, you know, we'll give it a Lilith and a Jinn and a Giant and, uh, I don't know, a, a good dwarf. <laughs> Those are almost mythical now. So yeah, four out of five mythical figures. What do you got? I I thought it was a fine chapter. I mean, I for the amount of exposition in it, it did not feel like I was just reading exposition. And part of that is just because I am so familiar with it that uh-huh. like this is content that I yeah have ingrained in me. But I also like don't remember all of these different prophecies being included. I just remember the one about the thrones at Care Paravel. I don't remember the one about Aslan's teeth leading to Deeth. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I'll definitely give it a full set of Aslan's teeth. Ooh, a full set. Yeah. How many teeth do a, does a lion have? Why don't you do some research and get back to us next time? Next time we'll get back to us. Uh, if you would like to share that information or you know, share fan art of things or possibly tell us or of stuff of stuff or you know what was the other thing that we asked people for why don't you just uh hit us up on instagram or facebook at chronically podcast or on twitter at chronically pod and you can email us at chronically podcast at gmail.com you could do your own rewrites or possibly send us fan art or whatever yeah but we'll get back to you on that teeth thing next time yep uh thanks for listening and We'll see you next week for Chapter 9. Cheers. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its teeth. King Helen and Queen... Or, yeah, King Helen and Queen Frank.
there's this legend, and everybody believes very strongly that he exists. It he does he does exist. Why did she have a history on the other planet? And <laughs> I'm just gonna let you have that little rant there. Yep, yep. Come back to the podcast in a minute when you're done. I guess you could say Doan, but uh, yeah. We are discussing the Chronicles of Narnia. We are currently discussing the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, to any of our dwarf listeners who might be listening, uh, I have nothing against your people. I'm sure you're all great. I'm going to cut this out. <laughs> you, you need to stop. <laughs> no. What? I wasn't saying anything negative. Your people. Anyway, um, 